Welcome to Leveling Up, where you'll learn from leading experts in talent development and explore how leaders in some of the world's most successful businesses approach employee development, manager training, and more. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also listen on our website at levelingup.co. Hi, everyone. My name is Chelsea, and I'm your host for Leveling Up. Today, I have with me Jackie Scheiman-Holt, who is the head of human resources at Seven for All Mankind. And Jackie has over 20 years of experience in HR at a variety of companies, but the last 18 months have really been performative when we think about her experience in HR. So excited to have her with us today. And Jackie, would love to just hear a little bit more about your ride these last 18 months. Thank you, Chelsea. Thank you, everyone, for having me. It's been a wild ride for the last 18 months, as I think anyone who is in HR or any other area of business or the world can tell you. At Seven, we are a denim company primarily and an apparel company. And naturally, our our business was adversely impacted by the onset of COVID. We've had to make a lot of structural and business changes that really affects how we work. So for that reason, it's been a pretty, it's been a pretty wild ride. (laughs) over this time. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the last year or so has been a lot for all of us, but definitely in the, in the HR world. So, you know, you mentioned your team went through a lot of different changes because of the pandemic and those changes are still continuing. How have you approached pulling employees in and ensuring they're engaged? That's a great question. And that was really a challenge uh, during the pandemic and also during our times of civil unrest and Black Lives Matter. So it was just unprecedented. So it's very hard for us to kind of refer to an article or a mentor to say, how do we manage the situation that really in our history, at least our recent history, hasn't happened. One thing that we did here was really to try to create psychological and physical safety for our employees. So when it comes to psychological safety, I, for my own team and direct reports, we had a daily check-in. Like I said earlier, it was a tough time and we were shutting down our stores. We were putting our employees on furlough. We didn't know what was going to happen to our distribution center. We do have a corporate office in Los Angeles. We have another office in New York. We have another office in, in Switzerland. So we were trying to work through how we manage all of these locations and people. And the psychological safety part of that is an opportunity for my team to have a daily check-in and just say what's on our mind. If we had to say, this is terrible, I don't know what's going on, this is a decision I made, what do you think? That was perfectly fine. And it was one of the best things that came out of the pandemic for me personally and for my team was that camaraderie that we built during these really difficult times. Anyone in HR can tell you the hours were long. I mean, it was the kind of hours where we weren't sleeping. And I don't think I'm alone in that Mm -hmm. experience. But creating a time where we could all talk about that was really important for us as a team. For our employees who still needed to come in the office, we had to create physical safety. And it was at the height of COVID. We didn't really understand this. We didn't know where the end was. We're just now coming out of it. So we had to have a really safe office environment. And I think we're not alone in creating that for the people who had to come in. So our our essential personnel is really design, tech design, product development. People who have to touch the product to create it still had to be here in person at least sometimes. That meant we needed to have it cleaned and sanitized and, and 
ventilated and all of the things that everyone was doing at the really the height and throughout COVID. Part of that, though, was communication. We had to tell our employees not just what they needed to do when they came into the office, but how they are being protected as well. So a lot of internal communication in per well, not in person, but digital, I should say, meetings to communicate what our approach is and also hear feedback and concerns. Wonderful. And I love the psychological safety in addition to the physical. I think the physical seemed obvious for most, but the psychological is so important. I'm curious, some of those things you developed around those psychological check-ins and you know, continuing with that strong communication around changes you're making, what do you want to ensure the company continues doing as we are coming out of the pandemic? That's a good question. We need to continue with strong internal communications. So I believe in what I call internal branding, external meets internal branding. And that means that all of our internal communications really need to match our external communications, our external look and feel of our brand. This can mean that our employees need to know something that's happening at the brand before it appears on Instagram, before a press release happens. They Mm -hmm. need to see what the product is going to look like. And not just the people that touch the product, but everybody who is invested in the company needs to understand what that marketing initiative will look like in advance. And then that can be reflected in things like our onboarding, our own internal communications, even communications on something like development plans. I think that that should be branded because it's more engaging for our employees to just see something simplified and think this is our own. This is this is branded for seven. I think that really helps with the communication. Also, we'll continue events. We did virtual events during the pandemic. We tried our best to do virtual yoga, health fairs, (laughs) cooking, cocktail making classes. We did get some people to participate and they were were glad for those reprieves from some difficult times and long hours. The other thing that I would like to keep going, that we will keep going, is donations. So we've Mm. always had a very charitable environment. At Seven, we have some companies we've adopted and some programs. need to keep that going, especially as we come back in person. So one of those, for example, is Shoes That Fit, that gives shoes to children in need who are in an elementary school very close to where our offices are in downtown Los Angeles, which is an area that's in need pre-pandemic and very much in need now. So we donate to them. Even during the pandemic, our employees came in and dropped off shoes. So we need to keep those initiatives going so they continue to feel that we as a company are invested in the people that are around us and in our own people. Absolutely. The events, but then also your community investments and the the charitable giving is so wonderful. And I think also impressive in terms of employee engagement, but even more impressive, we had discussed that a lot of your employee employee engagement over the last year has been grassroots. Can you tell us a bit more about that? How do you take a grassroots approach to employee engagement? Certainly. We've had to take a grassroots and what I describe as scrappy approach (laughs) to a lot of things. It'll come as no surprise. We're not a huge HR department. And we needed to come up with things kind of on the fly and on our own to do. One of those things that we really think is a success is something called Seven University. 
we worked on this with the marketing department. So as I mentioned earlier, this is part of the external and internal brand message. But Seven University is a program where our employees lead a course, one hour, just a one hour presentation about what they do. And the idea behind this is that we've driving engagement. We understand our, the business for which we work. We're building empathy. We're getting to know each other, even though we're digital and separated. As I alluded to earlier, we're already in three different cities, plus we're owned by a corporation that's in New York and Tel Aviv and, and all over the world as well. So there's always been a digital component to this company, but this is obviously more so during the pandemic. So we started 7U pre-pandemic and we kept it going through the pandemic because it gave a chance for employees to really hear what the other groups are up to. And some examples of 7U is what is coded denim and how is it made? I think that's a great, that was a great one because I didn't know. How do you build a healthy P&L? HR, we did how to do a performance review, interviewing skills. Design did inspiration. How do you begin to draw your designs uh, for the next season? Where do you draw your inspiration from? Visual merchandising did a presentation. So it's just about anyone from any department. The important thing about Seven University is that it's employee-led. So our employees do the presentations themselves. We naturally have to be the quarterbacks and we arrange who's on and when, but not unlike this podcast. The person that is speaking is, is the person that everyone's listening to. They're the subject matter expert and they're getting their time to really share their knowledge. Mm -hmm. So that for us has worked out very well. We uploaded into our HRS system. So our people in the retail stores or in the distribution center can see these videos later if they can't make it at the time of the call. A couple of those topics, they're so interesting. I'm like, when are you going to publicize them so more of us can join? <laughs> Sounds Happy so to teach you about coded denim. <laughs> yes, I actually know nothing about coded denim. That would be really interesting to do. Hearing that and the variety of topics you just shared, like clearly this is something that you have a lot of buy-in around and you have a lot of different groups participating how did you originally get it started and get people excited about this? That is a good question. We are lucky to have people working here who want to be a part of a community at work. And this was helping to build a community at work. It also takes some time of reaching out to individual employees and explaining what this is and why it's important. It's not like everybody just jumped on this. I don't want to give that impression. The other piece that I think is important when introducing, whether it's Seven University or even a, something like Lunch and Learns that we all talk about right now, is executive buy-in. We have to have leadership buy-in for any of these programs to be successful. So it starts from the top down. So we ask every department head to buy in on this program and certainly give their feedback if they think it's good or bad. I think it needs to come from the company in general, not just from HR. So I refer to some things as it can't be a, quote, HR thing. And what I mean by that is people's eyes kind of glaze over. This isn't a subject that, that necessarily interests everyone. So if I'm kind of going out to our employees saying, well, this is how I'm going to drive employee engagement, or this is how you write a development plan, it's not as interesting as if it's their own. Mm -hmm. And they're in control of it. And they can take control over their careers. They can take control of their careers by learning more about the company in which they work and the business they work in, and also where they want to go within that business. So I, I believe firmly in employee, we can drive it, but employee-led projects. 
really driven by HR naturally. Absolutely. Another project or initiative that you mentioned in our previous conversations was lunch and learns, which I say with a bit of a tone because it's <laughs> such a hot topic. Yes. And they're completely hit or miss, right? I would I would guess every company listening has tried them or done them. And I would also guess that maybe half or more than half don't find them effective. But your lunch and learn sounded different. It sounded like people participate and they enjoy them. So tell us a bit more. How did you make that work? Our lunch and learns are full departments. So I have participated in some where it's more presentation form, where the leader of the department sort of presents on what they're doing and the other team listens. What we did is we made it full departments. Everyone from the senior most person in the division to the entry level person, everyone participates with another team. So for example, we did one with human resources and retail. And we just had a basically a roundtable discussion. It was digital, of course, as, as many things are right now. But it gave a chance for everyone in retail to get to know who we are and what we do in human resources. So I think there's a little bit of uh, sometimes misunderstanding about how we contribute and how we drive business and how we're integrated into the brand and into the company. And then we also got to meet the people in retail that we don't see every day who are in the field, the ones that have specific challenges in a different market that's outside of New York and Los Angeles. And we got to understand where they are, where their employees are, how they see their business growing and driving. And this was really valuable to do it with the whole teams and to give everyone a platform to talk. I found it was more kind of fun and engaging. Also, because of the year we've had, we've unfortunately had to reduce some headcount. So HR had our own kind of PR problem. Like, at one point, I don't think anyone wanted to, to hear from me, which is probably sounding familiar to other HR executives. So what we did on this program is we, my team and I, it was close to Halloween, we showed up dressed as a 1980s uh, hairband. So we just kind of said, we're real people. We can be silly too. We're here to really help you. We don't need to be serious all the time. And I think the team really loved it. Actually, the retail team really enjoyed getting to know us as people and knowing that we're all trying to do the same thing. We're all trying to support the business and we're all trying to gain success for this company. Absolutely. I love the, the hair band example. It's, <laughs> it's fun. And, you know, it's important to think about the brand of the HR department and sort of your own PR and how the company perceives you all. Absolutely. So another piece, you know, that happened over the last year, of course, there's the pandemic and working remotely, but also conversations around diversity across the United States and how those sort of bled into, into companies as well, right? There's everything that occurred in June, 2020, but then that also transcribed into our organizations. So tell me more about how diversity and inclusion has played a role in everything that's been occurring for, for you all over the past 18 months. That's a very good question. That was something that really fell on my lap. And I am not a diversity, equity, and inclusion expert. There are people with PhDs in this subject who would be much better at leading a conversation or guiding change than I can be. However, we didn't have that subject matter expert. So it fell back on me. It just so happens that on the heels of the murder of George Floyd, 
just on that subject, I grew up in Minneapolis and I have a Native American parent and I'm in human resources. So those three things combined somehow led me to be the company's uh, subject matter expert, which was not true. I am not a subject matter expert whatsoever. So what I did to address this, the, the best way I could, was to have some guided conversations with our employees. Now, naturally, we're in HR, so we don't want conversations that are happening without structure, that aren't productive, that aren't guided. So we had employees talk about things that they, they could change. The world was just out of hand in so many ways. So what changes can we influence? And some of those changes are, can we disseminate information within the organization for learning and educational resources on the subject of diversity, equity, and inclusion? Can we encourage our employees to begin educating themselves? We engaged other companies to help us with our recruitment efforts, companies like the National Black MBA Association, which is a great business to work with, and another one called Jopwell that works on the advancement of Latinx, uh, Native American, and Black professionals. There's many out there. As much information, external information as anyone can get in the situation is, is definitely needed. We also had our employees talk about where we could support people who are in need. So the people that are immediately surrounding our office in downtown LA. This might not be directly related to diversity and inclusion in an organization, but it did help our employees do something tangible for change. So we identified a company to adopt. We introduced volunteer time off so we can go as a team. It can be all of us, some of us, two departments uh, in place of a lunch and learn, for example, where we can work with a youth center. This has not been fully rolled out because we're in Los Angeles and we only really opened up uh last week. Mm -hmm. So we're not all back in the office whatsoever. But once we are, this will be one of the activities that we fully implement that our employees identified. I also think an important part of this process was really reassessing ourselves. So really having a look at what our executive leadership team looks like, and what our marketing looks like, mm -hmm. and to begin to pivot does our executive leadership team reflect the, the robust and diverse, uh, robust amount of diversity that we have at Seven? And the truth is, it really did not. And does our marketing reflect that? And I think we can do better, and we have done better in both of those areas. During this period, I, I actually was calling in any, anyone who would help me. And anyone who's listening, I highly encourage uh, networking and calling on your old friends and colleagues for help when you can. So I was calling friends, colleagues, friends of friends who were more experts in this area to help me during this period. And one person had the best thing saying to me when it comes to recruitment and talent development in an organization, which is if you have a hat and it's full of lots of different colors of of tickets or cards, what are the chances you're going to pull out the same color every single time? And I thought, well, that's really, really well said and very true. So what are, the ex what are the chances that we can only hire people that look one way? And we're missing out on so much if we do that. Because that's how innovation is built. If we all think alike and look alike, how can we expect to innovate? 
And we're in a creative business that is all about innovation. I think every business is about innovation. And that's going to be best driven by having a lot of different people in that organization. So those conversations were a start. There's a lot more that we need to do, especially once we're back in person. But our employees were able to identify those things. They were able to raise their hands and say, you know what? My experience here has been that I'm the only blank in the room. And that experience has been impactful. And I think just being able to say that mattered a lot to our teams. So some ideas that naturally I have is to engage a subject matter expert, also to do some unconscious bias training that I've been fortunate enough to have been through in my career. I highly recommend it. It's non-judgmental, but it's also saying everybody has a bias. Let's identify that and then let's work from there. And then, like I said before, engaging a different strategy with talent acquisition, but also talent management and development. I obviously get excited on this subject because I just realized I went on for a while there, but I think it's a really interesting topic. Oh, of course. And you shared so many different helpful examples. I think what stands out to me as sort of trends and what you were sharing, the whole time you talk about like awareness of where the company stands and of your individual self and where you stand on these topics and open communication, right? You even kicked us off talking about communication and how that's been important in the past year. So I think that's wonderful. The specific actions that you noted too were really impressive, right? It's not just an awareness of where the company is today, but where you can take action both from the employee level and at an organizational level. But of course, in the theme of our conversation today, the initiatives that you led that were really led by employees, right? Where can we have employees inspire a conversation and have employees get involved in the community and and take actions that are important for them? So I'm curious, when do you think in your HR career, when did you start looking towards these scrappy or grassroots or employee-led initiatives? How did you realize this was something that was so powerful? I have to think for a second. That is interesting. I think I've been lucky to have come through organizations where I've been able to have some agility and flexibility. And that means I've been successful, but I've also made mistakes. And through mistakes, we learn. Some of those mistakes are, well, I'm going to impart my knowledge on you. I'm going to decide that this is how HR should run something like a development plan or something like a talent review. And then I started to realize after seeing a few eyes glaze over that that's really not the way to go. That's sort of not being very influential. And I just had to pivot throughout my career. I can't think that there's been one particular moment where that light bulb went off, but I think it's just been a series of learnings and also being in places where I could learn, where innovation, like I was saying before, is valued and ideas are valued and when it comes with that, we can come up with some great initiatives, but sometimes we're going to make mistakes and that's okay too, as long as we learn from them and we continue to pivot. In talking to other talent leaders who maybe want to start engage employees more at a, at a grassroots level, where would you recommend they start? I think grassroots comes from talking to the people that are not executive leadership. We have a place in every company, of course, but really individual employees at different stages in their careers are the ones that are going to have really great ideas. 
for the company. So for example, during our DEI conversations, hearing, I actually had executive management not participate in those meetings. I kicked them off. And the reason is I wanted to hear from people who were not at that level about what we could do better as an organization. So I think grassroots really comes from people. It comes from individuals and it comes from being in an organization where people are, are you know, quote, safe. Psychological safety is a big, big buzzword right now, but it's true. Safe enough to say what's on their mind and to give ideas. And if you have employees coming saying, hey, you know, it would be great, not, not more snacks. I don't mean stuff like that, <laughs> but I mean, hey, we could do a presentation on coded denim. Great idea. If they're saying things like that, you, have a, you already have an engaged population. You just have to pull it out of them. And that's very lucky. Also, my team, I, I let them come up with their own innovative ideas. I expect them to come up with innovative and big ideas. I expect them to look at processes and say what's right and what's wrong and what could we do better. There's also no end game. We're always evolving. So I don't look at it as, oh, we've, we've implemented an idea and a process and it's done and we're going to walk away. So we've fixed our DEI situation. We, you know, it's, everyone's engaged. We're all set. We're never going to reach that point. So that is creating a learning organization where people continue to want to bring big ideas forward. And that's what I thrive to put forward, at least where I work. I'd love to hear some of your personal practices. What resources do you lean on? How do you think about learning for yourself? A good question. So I live in Los Angeles, so I spend a lot of time driving and I listen to a lot of stuff. I listen to all kinds of podcasts. I read things that people give me, but I think probably most important is I lean on people that are smarter than me and that have better experience than me. I think building relationships with our colleagues is imperative. Keeping those relationships is very important. Hearing other perspectives, even perspectives that we don't agree with, it's extremely important to try to understand and build empathy with the other parties. And it's hard, I think, to reach out to somebody that maybe we don't know super well. And I've had to push myself to do that, to push myself to talk to a friend of a friend. But if a friend is saying, hey, I have someone who's a real expert in how we use pronouns now, really a a big expert in gender identity, I want you to talk to her because you can learn something. I had to take up that opportunity, even though I'm on this podcast, I'm not naturally a little bit, a little bit shy. So for me, that was a little hard to do, but well worth the while. Mm -hmm. So if anybody listening can kind of take in information from other people, it is extremely important. We are unfortunately not able to do any networking events right now. I don't like networking from just the idea of like, this is how I'm going to get ahead. This is how I'm going to build my career. Because I think they're more important from what can I learn from the other individual. I love that. And even pushing yourself where you say you're shy to take these calls and to have these conversations, I hope we all follow your example. I think that's wonderful. Well, looking back, if you were to think about when you first became a leader in this field and a leader in HR, what advice would you give your past self? Relax. (laughs) It's going to be okay. Think 
before you jump in to the deep end of the pool. Take risks. Definitely take risks. That's the way I first became, got to become a global HR person was I just took the risk to say what's happening in the legend office. And my boss, this is many years ago, said, why don't you go find out? So take those risks and just be open would be another suggestion to my younger self. Also, I think something that we, we haven't talked about that's important for everybody is boundaries with work. And this is something that I personally struggle with, but building some sort of boundaries, time, taking time off for yourself, putting your pen down at some point during the day, during the pandemic, this was extremely difficult for me. There was no boundaries at all between work life and home life. Work never ended. I wasn't good at just, I'm going to shut down now. It's been 12 hours. I'm good. That wasn't happening for me. So I think even my younger self of last year, I would give the advice to, it's okay to have some boundaries and some self-care, even in the craziest of times, because that's how you're going to put your best self forward. Absolutely. Such, such wise words of wisdom for us to move forward on. And I even like that you say my younger self of last year, right? That kind of follows your whole trend. We're always growing. We're always learning. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. My pleasure. Thanks so much for being here and taking the time. I really appreciate you giving us all of these super helpful examples and speaking with our listeners today. Thank you, Chelsea. This is very, very nice. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. Thanks, Jackie. Thanks. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Head over to levelingup.co to join our newsletter and to find past episodes.